We are in a series called Becoming a Friend of God. Today's message is called Heaven's Laugh. So here we go. Genesis chapter 17. God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And then Genesis 18, the Lord comes with two angels to Abraham's house and he speaks. Where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing, so Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid. So she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yeah, you did. (laughs) Genesis 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time God had promised him, Abraham gave the name Isaac. Isaac means laughter to the son Sarah bore him. When when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? Let's pray. Lord, I pray this morning for a release of your joy in the hearts of your people. I pray for those who have not been able to truly laugh, that there would be a fresh Laugh in the spirits of your people. Lift the heavy weight of this life. Lift the heavy weight, God, of, uh, that, that this world brings on us and release, God, uh, the very presence of heaven and heaven's laugh in this place, we ask in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Heaven's laugh, point one, earth's laugh. First, The laugh of unbelief. God says to Abraham, Sarah's going to have a child. And Abraham laughs to himself. I don't think so. Not when I'm old. Not when Sarah's old. And what he says to the Lord is, may Ishmael live before you. See, Abraham had prayed 
God told him early on, right when he first left, that he was going to be the father of many nations and, and that even though Sarah was barren, that they were going to have kids. And so for 10 years, Abraham believes God and prays and Sarah prays and, and, and they're believing God for this thing. And then at the 10-year mark, Sarah's like, you know, it's, it's time, clearly, you misread something. We, here's another way you can have kids through me. Take my maidservant, Hagar, and that will be, the, the, the child she has will be my child, and we will fulfill the promise. And so they have Ishmael, and Ishmael is now uh, 13 years old, and God comes to Abraham and says, you're, you're going to have a child through Sarah. And he's like, it's too late. That time has passed. He laughs to himself, and it is the laugh of unbelief. It's very similar to the New Testament when the angel appears to Zechariah, and, and he says this to him. He says, uh, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is along in years. Your prayer has been heard. And Zechariah's like, that's not what I'm praying about. I, I, prayed, I prayed a prayer long ago for Elizabeth. I long, I've been praying that God would comfort Elizabeth. God would help Elizabeth accept God's will. I've been, I don't know what, what you're talking about, but the idea that I'm going to raise her hopes again, not going to happen. How can I know this would happen? He wants a sign that it'll happen. And God says, all right, you want a sign? Because of your unbelief, let me tell you what the sign's going to be. You're not going to be able to talk until the baby's born. Um, what is it about God that waits until it's too late? <laughs> what is it about God that he will wait until we like completely give up and it, it's too late and now we know that it won't happen and then why would God do it so late and so after we've given up? There's something about God that he wants to do things that we know only he could have done it. That it wasn't coincidence, it wasn't, it was, you know, it just happened that he wants to do things that are marked with his something that only he could do. But that is, that is the laugh of unbelief. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says that the natural man um, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God because they are foolishness to him. That we know the real world, we know how it works, and it doesn't work that way. That is the natural man, and God's got another way of doing things. So then secondly, we have Earth's laugh. It's not just the laugh of unbelief. It's the laugh of cynicism. So Sarah hears them talking, and she, to herself, because you don't want to do this in front of God, but she laughs to herself, and she says, yeah, right. After I'm worn out, 
after I'm old. I, I mean, in that culture, to be barren was like to be cursed by God. And so she's been carrying the weight of this. The idea that I would have this pleasure now, I don't, I don't think so. And so God says, why did, why did Sarah laugh? And, and is anything too difficult? And Sarah says, um, I didn't laugh. God's like, yeah, you did. It's the laugh of cynicism. Life has worn us out. We used to believe. We tried to believe. This is the laugh that's all around us. And oftentimes it's within us. It's a laughter of sorts, but it's earth's laugh, not heaven's laugh. So point two is heaven's laugh. So now the baby has been born. Isaac is born and it is this pure laugh of joy. She says, she says, God has given me laughter. That's why his name is Isaac, because of the laughter. And everybody who hears about this will laugh with me. But now it's not a laugh of unbelief or cynicism. It is a laugh of pure joy for two reasons. First, it's a laugh because God is good. God only God could have done this. God is alive. Whenever God does something on earth that only God could do, it is a testimony that one, he is alive, and two, that he is good. And especially when you're used to things being just the same, the same, the same, and, and it's all about people trying to make things better. And when God does something that only God could have done, that isn't coincidence, that that is a genuine miracle, it is it makes you laugh because God is alive and I didn't even know it. He is alive and he is, he is a good God to do something like that. So last year, one day, I got a text message from my friend Tom Stam and Tom is older than I am and he is, uh, I've known him for decades and I get a text message from him and it just says this, we're expecting so I immediately texted back, what are you expecting? <laughs> so he texts back, a baby. And I said, texted back, are you going to name him Isaac? <laughs> and he texts back, no, it's a girl. We're going to name her Esther. I text back, for such a time as this. So, earlier this year, Esther Reina was born. Reina is Spanish for queen. And Esther Reina is now in this world. Now, here is the rest of the story. Teresa, his wife, from Honduras, was 55 years old when this baby was born. The doctor who delivered her, delivered Esther Reina, said, I've never seen a woman this old deliver a baby. So women that are in your 50s, be at peace. <laughs> somebody, somebody came up after the service, the first service says, I'm 51, I'm terrified right now. Anyway, <laughs> but here's the story about Teresa. All of her life, she wanted to have a baby. And 
her and Tom run an, an orphanage down in Honduras. They currently have 75 children that they're taking care of. But over the years, they have taken care of 180 orphans. After taking care of all of these children that are God's children, God did what only God could do and gave her a baby of her own, Esther Reina. Isn't that great? The, good, the goodness of God. But the laugh, heaven's laugh is more than that. It's more than God is good and God is alive. Here's the other part. It's that God is generous. And here's what I mean by that. Sarah, she can't wait to tell the story. Everybody who hears this story is going to laugh because Sarah is not the star of this story. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell the story and they're going to laugh because it's very clear that this birth happened not because of me, but in spite of me. In spite of my bad behavior, I lied to God. I, I basically said to God, no, you can't do it. You won't do it. I'm worn out. And, and, I, and, and God did it not because of me, and I had this great faith, and I, I, no, this is, I didn't, I couldn't believe it. I, I wasn't believing it, and in spite of me, in spite of my bad behavior, God still did it, and everybody who hears the story is going to laugh because of God's goodness and because of his grace or his, his generosity. This is the picture that God gives us of the gospel that creates heaven's laugh on earth. So here's Galatians 4, 28 through 31. Now you brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. So Galatians 4 tells the story of two covenants and how the two covenants function. In the old covenant, which is pictured by Hagar, things happened the natural way and Ishmael was born and Ishmael represents the performance identity of keeping the law. And the human race was worn out by the performance identity. No matter how hard they tried, they were always being judged by God. But Sarah represents a new covenant. And in this new covenant, instead of it being performance, we, brothers and sisters, like Isaac are born not by behavior, but we're born just by believing a promise, that God makes a promise. And we are born supernaturally. It calls being, being born again, being born from above. This, this is the new birth, and whenever a Christian is alive in God on this earth. It's a sign and a wonder to the whole world that God is alive, that God is good, and that God is gracious. When 
when God adopts us as his children, it is not because of us, because of our behavior that we've earned something, but because of his goodness and his grace and his generosity, purely out of his goodness and his love for the human race, even though we've had this bad behavior, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he decides, by just because we believe this promise, that instead of hell, which we deserve, we get heaven. Instead of rejection and being orphans, we are accepted by God in Christ. We are adopted as his own children. We are given all of the inheritance of heaven becomes ours just because we believe a promise. This is the joy of the gospel. This is the laugh of the gospel. Part of your name, everyone here, your name is laughter because what God has done in you and for you, if you're a Christian, will make you laugh because God did it not because of you or because of your behavior, but in spite of it. So to, to grab a hold of this, I like to use an illustration. Some of you have heard it before. It, it's, it's Dennis the Menace, not Julie Andrews. Let me explain. All right, Julie Andrews, Sound of Music, one of my favorite musicals. Anybody like Sound of Music? You know, it's, it's pure, it's the songs are brilliant, it's a great love story, but there's one song that's got this, just this horrible theology in it, and it's, Maria is this nun that falls in love with the, the guy, the, the Captain Von Trapp, and, and she runs away from him because he, she fell in love, and then the, the, the nun, her superior says, you need to go back and face it, and so she goes back, and, and it turns out that he's in love with her too and and so it's just this amazing discovery and so she sings this song to celebrate it and don't please don't make me sing this by myself so if you if you know this I expect to hear your voice picking up in the middle of the song nothing comes from nothing nothing ever could so somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. Great song, horrible theology. <laughs> Absolutely horrible. That something good has happened to me, we know nothing can come from nothing, so the reason why something good happened to me must have been something good I did to earn it. That is absolutely counter to the gospel. It is true that nothing can come from nothing. But this thing doesn't start with our good behavior. It starts with, for God so loved the world. In spite of our bad behavior, that God decided he, he loved us in spite of our bad behavior, and he decided to have grace by sending Christ for us. So it's not Julia Andrews, it's actually Dennis the Menace. Dennis and Joey are eating a plate full of cookies, and Joey says, I wonder what we did that Mrs. Wilson made us these cookies. And Dennis says, Joey, Mrs. Wilson doesn't make us cookies because we're good. 
Mrs. Wilson makes us cookies because Mrs. Wilson is good. These cookies represent her love, her grace toward us, even though we're these messy little boys. That, that is the gospel. All right, so point three, last point. Four things I've learned about joy. Number one, we lose our joy when we return to a performance identity. This is kind of what the book of Galatians is about. (laughs) They started out good. They started out excited. They started out filled with the Spirit. And now they're moving back to performance. Paul says, you foolish Galatians. You you began in the Spirit. Now are you going to perfect in the the flesh? It started by faith, but now you're going back to works. And he says this in Galatians 4.15. Where is that joyful and grateful Spirit you felt then? It's so easy to slip back into performance. And oftentimes, because we're still doing this stuff, we're still going to church, we're still running all this, we don't notice it. Here's what I wrote. If you are so holy, you can't laugh at yourself. You slip back into the performance identity. Last week was about how serious we need to be about God. This week is about how we can't take ourselves too seriously. (laughs) The gospel begins with the goodness of God, and then it continues with the goodness of God. This is all about his spirit moving in and through human vessels who have yielded to him. God could have done it anyway, but he decided to set aside human wisdom and human power. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. This is just how he set it up, but it's easy to slip back. So here's what happened to me in 2012. We were in Michigan on vacation, and early in the morning, before coffee, I'm awake, And I have a sentence go through my mind. Here's the sentence. It's right out of Fellowship of the Rings. So spiritual I am. (laughs) Here's, here's, Here's the line. You are too little butter spread over too much bread. That was the line. I absolutely knew it was true. Joel had been, Joel's our executive pastor. He had been saying, Tom, you need a sabbatical. You need to get away. You're, you're not, you're not going to make it. And, and I'm like, no, you know, nobody else needs it. I can do this. I'm type A. I'm, you know, but this was God speaking. I'm like, oh my, it's so true. I, I was wearing out. I was overstretched, overworked, and mostly because of myself, I just didn't know how to do this. And uh, so when the, when the elders offered a sabbatical, I took it. And, and, and something happened to us on sabbatical. It was the very last week of sabbatical. This is in, in uh, May of 2013. And we went out to Bethel in Redding, California. It was a healing conference. There was a guy named Chris Gore uh, a pastor on their staff leading the conference. And the first night, I got introduced to a new term, the ease of heaven. 
And, and it was all about miracles. And I'm like, for miracles, you'd think, I'm a revival guy. You'd think you'd, you'd dial up to have miracles. And he says, no, it's just the opposite. You dial down. You, you got, this is God's stuff. This isn't our stuff. You, you need to relax. You need to get in the ease of heaven. And that was, that was just a whole new thought for, for me. And, uh, and so during the week, they had several pastors on their staff. And these are, these, this is a huge church, and they've all written books, and they all have traveling ministries. So they're way more busy than I am. And almost every one of them said the same thing. And here's what, here's what they said. If you host the presence of God, you don't have to be that good at your job because God's really good at his. And, 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 it, and it, it, it affected me because that was, that was how I got burned out. I just, I wanted to be good at my job. I wanted to be ready for every sermon and every place and everything and every counseling and every, I just wanted to be good at my job. And God said, here's a different wineskin. You host my presence. Let me carry that church. Let me carry your schedule. Let me carry the future. Let me carry Sunday mornings. You, you, you make it your mission to host my presence and, and live in the ease of heaven. And so then I got a living parable. A living parable is something that happens in your life. It really happens, but it's, it serves secondly as a parable for you of how to live. So here's, here's the parable. So we're on our way back from Bethel and I get a call from our realtor and he says, Tom, the house in Montevideo has sold. He said, and this time it's legit. So here's the story. No, I'm not gonna tell the whole story. People have heard this story before. I'm not gonna tell the whole story. I'm just gonna tell a very little small part. So that house had been on the market for six years and I have... You know, I had this, this is just my, my, my way. Uh, there's, there's my part and there's God's part. You don't expect God to do your part, so you do your part, and then God has to do his part. And, and then part of your part is to ask God to do his part. And so you're, you're responsible for your part, and you're kind of responsible for God doing his part, because if you fast enough and pray enough and confess enough, you can get God to do his part. And so I had, for six years, my poor, tormented realtor, I would call him and I had ideas of how we could market it and new markets and how we could do it. Every spring, especially, we would get a plan in place and, and then I would pray and I would fast and I would confess. And, and every, every day, and every day I, I got, woke up, I owned a home. Every, every night I went to bed, I still owned that home. And every month we were losing money because of that home. I tried to foreclose once, that's another story. So it's spring, right before we go on our sabbatical. It's time for me to do my thing with the realtor. It's time for me to call him and, come on, let's get after this. And, and uh, the Holy Spirit speaks. And he says, I'm going to sell the, 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 ho- the house while you're resting. And I know instinctively that what I'm supposed to do now is nothing. I'm not supposed to call my realtor. I'm not supposed to have a plan and honestly, because this house had almost sold like three times, I didn't really believe that that word was true, honestly. But I'm like, we've tried everything else. Why don't we try doing nothing? <laughs> doing everything hasn't worked. Why don't I try doing nothing? And so 
This is the new wineskin. It's living from rest. What? What aren't we supposed to be diligent? Listen, here's where you're diligent. Hebrews 4, 9 through 11. Here's the new wineskin. Be diligent. No, first it starts with this. There is a Sabbath rest for the people of God so that Jesus came, died, and rose again, and he made this rest for the people of God. The Sabbath day of the Old Testament pointed to this time. This is, we live right now on God's Sabbath day. It is the favorable year of the Lord. It is the day where we rest. So be diligent, he says, be diligent to enter that rest. God has rested from his works. Now you rest from yours. And then learn how to live your life from this place of rest. Give your diligence to this connection with God. You do that one thing. You host his presence. You you rearrange your life around hosting his presence and, and, and making sure that you're resting in Christ and everything else will flow from that place. This is the wineskin God is calling his children to walk in, especially in this hour. So that's the first thing. We lose our joy when we return to a performance. Second thing I've learned about joy, God wants us full of joy. Jesus says this, John 15, 11, these words I've spoken to you so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be full. So why is Jesus speaking to you? Why is is the Bible written? Why did he die and rose again? Because he wants you to experience his joy and for you to be full of joy. I will submit to you that this is the best version of yourself, is you filled with joy. So Nathan was doing the song that we let off with today. And it was in the prayer meeting, it was downstairs. We had prayer meeting downstairs at that time. It was the first song. And I came in while he was doing the song. And he's singing this over and over again. You don't know me till you've known me filled with joy. You haven't known me till you've known me filled with joy. And I just, I came in and he's singing that over and over again. And I literally, instead of sitting down on my spot, I walk right up to the microphone. And I said, bro, I am so sorry that I'm interrupting you right now. But I have to say this and I have to say it right now. The way we should be singing this is this. I haven't known myself until I've known myself full of joy. That oftentimes, we, we haven't answered the call. We don't know the best version of ourselves because we've never walked in that. We've never really believed that's what God wants for us. And so oftentimes, the, the new birth makes us a new wineskin, a new container. But that container has to be filled with something. And oftentimes, as human beings, we're, as Christians, we're still filled with the same stuff the world's filled with. Even though we're a new container, we're a new wineskin, Our identity is actually us filled with anxiety or us filled with depression or us filled with bitterness and offense 
and anger or us filled with lust or us filled with greed or us filled with all kinds of stuff. Oftentimes today, it's us filled with pride. Pride is the most difficult one. Pride is when you know what's wrong with everybody else. You, you can find what's wrong with the government. You can find what's wrong with the family. You can find out what's wrong with your spouse. You can find out what's wrong with the church. You can find out what's wrong. And you know everything. And if somebody would just ask you, you would tell them. And if they're not willing to ask you, you'll tell them anyway. And, but it's, it's, it's very seductive because you can't, you can't see that your identity is so filled with your opinion about stuff. And... Those, well, those aren't the real you. Yeah, they are the real you. They're just a bad version of the real you. God has a better version. You haven't known yourself until you've known yourself filled with joy. God wants to invite us to a greater us. (laughs) An us that we will like a lot more and that everybody else will like a lot more. So God has this identity of us Filled with joy. Here's what we talked about last night. We had a we got a home prayer meeting. That there's really a stigma in our our current culture against joy. That when somebody's filled with joy, we're suspicious of them. We think they're being flippant or they're being fake or they're you know denying the real world or whatever. And let's get rid of that stigma, guys. Let's allow ourselves permission. Well. Serious, horrible things are happening in this world. I, I'll grant that. Devil's doing all kinds. I'll grant that. But since when are we judge and savior? Je- Jesus said, come to me and let me carry all that stuff and you carry me because this world desperately needs the people of God to be filled with joy. One of the verses that has really stuck out to me this week as I've been thinking about this is Psalm 35. It says that God is angry for a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping lasts for one night, but joy comes in the morning. And so we are all going to experience God's discipline at some point, and life is hard, and it's difficult, but that that, don't stop there. Don't think that's your identity is me being disciplined by God. No, that's just a moment. God's identity for you is his favor. This is, this is how he wants you to live. In fact, he's only taking you through this short time of discipline so he can get you to this identity of favored son, favored daughter that I'm living out of my whole life. Weeping will last for a night. We're gonna have disappointments. We're gonna have heartbreaks. We are in this world. Mourning for that season is very, very important. And God comforts those who mourn and you can mourn your own sin. You can mourn the failure of others. You can mourn the the government and you can mourn what's going on here and there. And that is fine, but don't leave your identity there. That's not your identity. Just pray it back to God. He'll comfort you in it and then make your identity in his joy. Number three, almost done. Third thing I've learned about joy. God can't give us joy without giving us himself. Now, this is very interesting. There's a lot of secondary blessings God can give you without giving you himself. He can can heal you. He, He can provide for you. 
He, he can lead you. He can guide you. He can give you a word of wisdom that, God, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? And all of a sudden, you know what you're supposed to do, or somebody comes to you, and, and it's very clearly, God, those are secondary blessings. I love every blessing that comes from God. But God can't give you joy without giving you himself. Why is that? Well, here's what Jesus said. I've spoken these things that my joy might be in you. My joy. In his presence, Psalm 1611, in his presence is fullness of joy. He can't give you joy without giving you his presence. Have you ever noticed in Nehemiah, the verse we love to quote, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Have you noticed that it doesn't say joy is my strength? Joy is connected to the Lord. It is his joy. So for God to give us joy, he has to give us himself. Well, somebody prayed in the prayer meeting, like, God, we can't fake joy, and we, you know, joy comes from you, and, and so, God, we just, however you do it, give us joy. And kind of like, joy is just something that happens to you. You can't aim for it. No, you, you can't, but you can aim for God. So let me give you the two verses for worshiping and waiting. And I want to invite you to come to worship and waiting tonight. Let me give you the two verses that are around this idea of worshiping and waiting. Not as just an event that we have once in a while on a Sunday night, but as a lifestyle. Here are the two verses. Psalm 27.4 and Psalm 37.4. Here's Psalm 27.4. One thing have I desired, and that will I seek after. That I might dwell in the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord is where his manifest presence was. That I might dwell in the presence of the Lord. That I might behold his beauty. That I might meditate in his temple. This is, I'm giving energy to this one thing. And the one thing is God himself. The second one is Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. And then he'll give you the desires that are in your heart. This aiming for God this is really important as an end in himself instead of a means to something he's going to do for you or something he's going to do in the world or something he's going to do in the region or something he's going to do in this country. No, make God an end in himself. That the, the prize is not what God's going to do, but God himself. That when we choose and just say to ourselves, God is my delight. God is my delight. We're, we're agreeing with heaven's purpose. We're agreeing with the truest thing. God is not my burden. God is not my, the, the one that's gonna dog me all my life and chase me down. God is my greatest delight. Even if I don't feel it, even if I'm not there yet, God, this is what I want. I want you to become my, my end. All of the other stuff, it turns out, will work around that thing. Aim for God himself. And you will discover this greater identity that he has for you and for me called full of joy. And just so you know, Alice said last night at the prayer meeting, why don't you pray for the preacher first to experience this? <laughs> and I'm like, I wonder who that would be. So I'm not preaching down. I'm like, I want, I want more of this. I want more of God's joy as my identity. Um, and then lastly, joy is contagious. So here's the story about Ed Ainsworth. So the 
very first time he comes here, that I meet him. He was, he was here before I was here, but first time I meet Ed Ainsworth, we let him preach on a Sunday morning without me knowing him at all. Derek knew him, and so that was good enough for me. So he comes, and here's how he starts the service. He said, he said you know, really early this morning, God woke me up and told me to show this video and I'm just doing it out of just sheer obedience to God. And he puts this video up there. Honestly, it was like R-rated. It was, it was at this music festival in California, and it's on the side of this mountain. And, and it is this guy. He's got like sh- short shorts on and nothing else. And he's dancing to this music that's coming out of a boombox and somebody had just caught it. This was before you like would, would pre-plan one of these events. This was clearly just somebody started filming him and it's this guy and he is going nuts and he's got moves. He can dance and he's, he's just, he, it's like no one is watching him. He is so lost in this thing. And after about 30 seconds, maybe 10 seconds, somebody else gets up and they're not as good as he is. They're kind of, they're, they don't have the thing, they don't have the freedom he has, but they're, they're trying to do, and guys, I am not kidding you, before the song ends, then, then it's like a family gets up and starts, before the song ends, the whole thing lasts five minutes, there are a thousand people dancing on this mountainside. And here's what Ed Ainsworth said. He said, the Lord told me this is how the revival is going to come here. That it is, it is going to be about the joy of the dance, of people getting lost in God, not caring what anyone else thinks. And other people will see it and they'll just start dancing. And that God will do this thing. And I, so I note that, I write everything down in my journal and I'm like, that, 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 that sounds like something God might say. So a couple years later, Sam Duram speaks. And it's between Christmas and New Year's. And so it's kind of the New Year's message. And he says, here's what the Lord says. Make a bonfire here. And God will breathe on it. And brush fires will break out everywhere. And, uh, and of course, a, a, a brush fire is, is spontaneous. It's unorganized. So a few days after that, just January 9th, right after Sam spoke, I am in Genesis 21, one-year Bible, Genesis 21, and I see something that I hadn't seen before, that Sarah, no one has told Sarah to give a testimony. No one said, and when God does something, make sure you tell, no, Sarah can't wait to give a testimony. She's like, everyone who hears it, God has made me laugh. The the goodness of heaven has touched my life, and everyone who hears this is going to laugh with me. I can't wait to tell the story. I can't wait to hear their laughter. I am going to go out, and I'm going to share this, not because I have to or somebody's making me. I just, I have to share what God has done in me. Do you know what the mission statement of city, oh, worship team can come. The mission statement of city churches, it's right outside the door there. Here's what it says. Finding joy in Jesus Christ and sharing it. What is our plan? What is the big plan? Here's the plan. You get rocked by God's goodness and his grace and his love. You get filled with joy and then you just simply, from that place, build a lifestyle of serving, of sharing, of praying for people, of carrying just whatever God's assignment that is fueled 
by the joy that you yourself have experienced. That's the whole plan for City Church.